all discipline in the army. Lincoln handed the old man the telegram, and he watched the shadow of disappointment and sorrow come over the man's face as he read the message. He suddenly seized his hand and exclaimed, Butler or no butler, here goes. He wrote out an order and handed it to the father. The man read the order, which was as follows. Job Smith is not to be shot until further orders from me, Abraham Lincoln. Why, said the father, I thought it was going to be a pardon. You may order him to be shot next week. My old friend, said Lincoln, evidently you do not understand my character. If your son is never shot until an order comes from me, he will live to be as old as Methuselah. The book of Jonah is a book commonly misunderstood. And it is a book that is mostly remembered for its great fish. And while that is a part of the details in the book, it's about much more than that. It's about a great God. It's a a, a great God who is compassionate and merciful, who shows his love for rebellious people. In our passage today, we find a man who did not understand God's character. And the great length that God goes to teach him about his compassion for others. And my hope for us today and throughout this new series that we are starting today, uh, and it will go on for the next um, couple, like two months, my hope is that we would grow in our understanding of God's character and today that we would see God's compassion in his pursuit for people. So please open your Bibles to Jonah 1. And if you're using one of the Black Pew Bibles in front of you, it's, you can find it on page 774, 774. And today we will be spending time in verses 1 through 16. And we will be reading the passage section by section and making observations as we go along. So please keep your Bibles open as we will be referencing it throughout our time together this morning. So Jonah 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. The first thing we see in our passage this morning It's God's compassion for the wicked. God's compassion for the wicked. And we see this compassion there in verse 1 as the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. And anytime that the word of God shows up and comes to men, it is a good thing. Now the Bible tells us, and here in our text, it tells us that the word came to Jonah. And Jonah, it says that Jonah was the son of Amittai. And the only other place in the Bible that we hear of Jonah uh, and that he's mentioned is in 2 Kings 14, 25. And then Jesus references him in the New Testament a couple of times. But this is all we're told about who Jonah is in our passage is that he is the son of Amittai. Now, in order to understand who Jonah is, and this will be helpful for our time together this morning and throughout the rest of the book, turn with me to 2 Kings 14. 
Now we're going to read verses 23 to 27. And keep your finger there in Jonah because we're going to come back to it and spend the rest of our time there. But 2 Kings, if you turn um, left in your Bibles, 2 Kings 14, 23 to 26, this will give us some context. And here we read, In the fifth year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel spoke through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. The Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering. There was no one to help them. And since the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. Now here we learn that Jonah was a prophet in the time of King Jeroboam II an evil king of the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, during this time, Israel was in a bad spiritual state. They were given to idolatry and rebellion against the Lord. But in God's kindness, he sent prophets to address the king and the nation to call them to repentance. So the prophets here were seen as a means of grace to God's people because he warned them and called them to repentance through them. But God's people were also in a difficult political situation because the Assyrian Empire was just north of them and they were a world superpower that threatened their freedom. During this time, Assyria had some serious problems. They had some divisions and then they had uh, experienced some famines and all of this set up and allowed for Israel to have its borders restored as we read here in, uh, in Second Kings. So God's mercy and grace came to his people through Jonah as he delivered good news that God would restore their lands, even though they only deserved to be judged for their wickedness. So Jonah witnessed God's grace to his unrepentant people because he saw their suffering. Now, if you go back to Jonah with me, in our passage, we see that the word of the Lord came to Jonah again. The coming of God's word to a prophet was something that was normal. And their function was to speak a particular message on behalf of God. So here you can see a prophet as a mouthpiece, one who represents God and speaks on God's behalf. And in our passage, what was Jonah to do? Well, if you look there at verse 2, we see that God called him to go to Nineveh and preach against it. That is, to preach a message of judgment because of their evil. Now, Nineveh was located in what's uh, modern-day Iraq along the Tigris River. And in Jonah's day, it was a major metropolitan city in the empire of Assyria. Now, the people of Nineveh were depraved and wicked. They were so lost that 
They've been described as the Nazi Nazis of Jonah's time, but on steroids, according to some uh, scholars. And these people were feared for doing such crazy things, such as skinning people alive and burying people up until their necks and leaving them out to burn. And much worse things that, we'll leave it at that. But they instilled fear in people, in the people that they conquered, so that they would not rebel against them, and so that they would maintain their influence over them. Now, God was calling Jonah to go to these very people. And he was calling him to go out and call against them and deliver a word of judgment because their evil had come up before God. Now, that their evil had gone up before the Lord means literally that it had come up before God's face, as if the aroma went into God's nostrils. And here we learn a few important things. We see that God is just in that God is fully aware of sin and any injustice that takes place in the world. And he holds people accountable to all of their actions. So when you look around you and you witness evil and suffering, and it seems like evil is getting away with what it's doing, we see here that God sees these things and he does something about it. But we also see that God is merciful in that he sends his servants to warn the wicked calling them to repentance before it's too late. So rather than judging them immediately, he extends mercy because God doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. So this warning was a loving thing for God to do because he could have just given them justice and given them what they deserved. But God was merciful and compassionate and sent his word so that they would be warned. So God shows his compassion for the Ninevites by calling Jonah to go to Nineveh to warn them. But what does Jonah do? We see here in verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. We see immediately that Jonah rose up and tried to flee from the presence of the Lord. God called him to go to Nineveh, but Jonah decided to go in the opposite direction, to Tarshish, which is believed to be in Spain. And Tarshish was about 2,000 miles away from Nineveh, and it was the furthest end of, um, of the globe where Jonah could get to during that time. Now, Jonah's fleeing from the presence of the Lord didn't mean that he was actually trying to escape God's presence. Because as a prophet, he was a good theologian. He knew that it would be impossible for him to get away from God's presence. He was familiar with such psalms, such as Psalm 139, where we read, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. So Jonah knew that he couldn't get away from God. But Jonah's attempt to flee God's presence meant that he was quitting his job or he was resigning from his call. 
as of immediately. And we see this in the details of the text. Notice how his desired destination is emphasized. Here we find Tarshish mentioned three times, and this is to give us emphasis. So here we find Jonah going in the opposite direction. Now the question that we may be wondering or asking ourselves is, why? Why would Jonah do this? Like, wasn't his job to represent God and to obey God and to do what God called him to do? So why would he do this? Well, here in the beginning of the book, we're giving a glimpse into the heart of Jonah. Now, we're not given the answer explicitly in our passage this morning, but we are told later in the book uh, the answer for why he did this. But for now, what we're told is that God was showing compassion to the Ninevites by sending Jonah to warn them about their evil ways. So Jonah decides to rebel against God by not doing what he called him to do. Now remember, this wasn't the first time that Jonah had received the word of the Lord or that he had been given an assignment. He had already delivered the word of the Lord to Jeroboam II. Jonah and Israel were recipients of God's undeserved mercy. And as a prophet, he understood that one of the reasons for prophecies was to proclaim judgment with the end goal of repentance. So picture Jonah receiving the word of the Lord again. And up until that moment, he was good. He knew that this was part of his calling. But then came the message. And he figured out who it was for. And then he thought about what the message intended to do. And so he began to put the pieces together. If I go there and I do this. Oh, Jonah began to realize something about God's compassion for the Ninevites. Jonah knew of the Ninevites' wickedness and how much of a threat they were to his people. And we begin to see here that Jonah did not want them to be saved. He wanted them to be judged. Here we find a man who thinks he is wiser than God, and rather than doing the will of God, he rejects it and begins to pursue his own will. The problem is that his sinful attitude was leading him to forget the purpose for which he was called and the purpose for which Israel was called. And this goes back all the way to Genesis 12, where God called Abraham and called him Uh, He told him and made him a promise that he would make a people for himself, not because they deserved it, but because he chose to set his love on them. And the purpose of their calling was so that they would be a blessing to all nations, to the world, so that others would come to know God and love God too. But we see that Jonah refused to accept the fact that God was showing compassion to non-Israelites we see that Jonah's heart was cold and indifferent toward those who were not God's people. And I think we can learn a few things from this. We learn that God is merciful, not only to his own people, but also to the wicked. We see this throughout the pages of the Bible, that God loves his creation. 
So let me ask you something. Do you desire for others to receive God's grace just like you have? Or do you only want grace for yourself? Do you have a problem with God showing his compassion to those who threaten you or have hurt you? Now, before you answer, take some time to meditate on this, because I think this passage tells us that, you know, Scripture tells us that the Word of God is like a mirror. And if we take time to stand in front of it long enough, we may find that there is a little Jonah in each and every one of us. So as God's people, we've been given the privilege of representing him to others so that others would come to know God, what he is like. And we have been given the privilege of sharing the gospel. So let me ask you, what is your attitude like towards those who make you feel uncomfortable? Do you see them as a danger that needs to be wiped out? Or do you see them with compassion as those who need God's grace? Jonah didn't have anything to tell us, but his heart was revealed. His actions tell us everything. So we've seen that God responds to wicked people with compassion by warning them of their evil ways before judging them. The next thing that should be on our mind is, well, what about Jonah? We find out in the next section. Look there at verses 4 through 6. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So what's going on here? Well, here in this section, we find God's compassion towards rebels. God's compassion towards rebels. And this is our second point. The focus in the rest of this passage is on God, specifically a God who shows his compassion to his people when they rebel. Now, the first thing that we see that happens when God's people rebel is that God pursues. God pursues Notice what God does in response to Jonah's rebellion. It is the sovereign God who hurls a great wind upon the sea, and as a result, there was a mighty tempest on the sea. You see that in verse 4. And the word hurled literally means to throw. So here, you can think about the Lord aiming at the ship, at the getaway vehicle that Jonah had chosen for himself as he attempted to flee from God, from His presence. And here we see that the Lord knows how to pursue His people. And when you read this, don't think that God is doing this out of retribution or out of vengeance. No. The Lord does this because He is a compassionate God. He is a merciful God. 
God's action comes from a loving desire to draw Jonah back to himself because sin would only lead him to destruction. When you rebel against the Lord and try to flee from him, the Lord will pursue you in love using the necessary means to draw you back. And if you find yourself rebelling, know that your circumstances are meant to draw you back to him. Now notice what happens to the mariners. The mariners fear and begin to cry out each, to each one of their gods. These mariners were experienced men who were accustomed to being at sea. But the fact that they fear tells us something about how great the storm was. And not only do they cry out, but we're also told that they begin to hurl their cargo into the sea in an attempt to save the ship and to save themselves. Now, isn't it common for people who find themselves in deep trouble to begin to hurl cargo into the sea as if that would fix their problems? For example, when the storms of life hit, folks will do different things to save themselves. They begin to cry out to their gods. They begin to throw out habits or to try to get control of them, when in reality what they really need to do is to cry out to the Lord for salvation. Now, as the mariners do this, where's Jonah? Well, Jonah is in the bottom of the ship, praying, interceding. No, he's sleeping. Here we have a picture of someone who is sleeping physically, but also spiritually as he's unaware of how his rebellion is offensive to God. How God is pursuing him so that he would turn away from his sin and turn back to God. How God has given him something important to do and he is flat out rejecting it. Now I wonder how many of us are sleeping this morning. Not physically, which I hope that's not the case, but also spiritually. Knowing that God is calling you to do something that you know is clear to you but you have no desire to do it because you are trying to escape. It may be that God's word has come to you in an act of, as a call to repent, or as God's people, God's word has come to us to take the gospel to those that are around you. And there are certain people on your heart that you feel that you should be sharing the gospel to, but you're rejecting, you're resisting, saying, no, I'm going to go that way. It may be God's word that has come to you in these ways. We find a little bit of Jonah in all of us. Now, at this point in the story, we see that Jonah keeps going downhill. Did you notice that? We read that from the moment that Jonah decided to run away from God, he, in verse 3, goes down to Joppa. And then he finds a boat, pays the fare, and goes down into it. Then in verse 5, once he's in the boat, he goes down into the inner part and lays down to sleep. Friends, I hope you see that whenever you run away from God, your escape will only lead to you going downhill. And I pray that this helps us see that it is Foolish to try to run away from God and to reject His will for us. 
So we see that one of the ways God shows his compassion for rebels is that he pursues them. Next, we see that the captain of the ship finds Jonah sleeping and is in disbelief. He says something, like you could imagine him saying something like, you've got to be kidding me. Everyone is fighting for their life and you're here sleeping? You see it there in verse 6, where he says, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God, and perhaps he will give thought to us that we may not perish. Here we find a second way that God shows his compassion to rebels. God rebukes. God rebukes. So first, God hurls a wind at Jonah's getaway vehicle. And this time, he rebukes him in love. Notice who God uses to try and snap him out of his sin. It's a non-believer, the captain of the ship, a pagan. And did you also notice the word that the captain uses? He says, arise and call out. These are the same words that God used when he called Jonah to go to Nineveh. There's something sobering about a non-believer reminding you about what you should be doing as a Christian. In a world where there is chaos all around us, where all you have to do is turn on your TV or check the news online or listen to the radio or just simply go out in public. You notice this chaos, but we have the answer to these problems. The question is, will you arise and go? Will you proclaim the great God who gives thought to his creation and desire Desires that people not perish, but repent. I pray that we would heed God's word, heed God's call to do so. So we see God's compassion to rebels in his pursuit and in his rebuke. And we find more as we continue reading. Look there at verse 7 through 10. We see that God continues to pursue by exposing, by exposing Verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So here we find God's compassion once again in that God exposes, particularly his sin. Here we see that the mariners come together to find out who is responsible for the storm. And because their gods hadn't answered, they begin to turn to casting lots. Now it's believed that these lots were either stones or rocks that were painted um, two colors, black on one on each side or white, black or white on each side. And it's believed that the color arrangements would determine who was at fault. So they begin to cast lots, and it says that the lots fell on Jonah. Now, this might kind of seem like coincidence, right? Like, oh, look, it's Jonah. 
But Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but it is every decision, but, but it's every decision is from the Lord. This is God's sovereignty at work again, exposing Jonah's secret sin. And once again, this is God's grace to Jonah so that he would repent and turn to God. Friend, I hope that you see that hidden and unrepentant sin may offer you peace and satisfaction for a time. But as we've already seen, it will only bring you down, not only hurting you, but hurting those around you as well. So God exposes his sin. But then we also find that God also exposes something else. God exposes the heart. After having been found out, we see in verse 8 that the mariners begin to ask Jonah questions to try and make sense of what was going on. Essentially, they say, listen, you know something. Tell us whose fault this is, what's going on. And Jonah responds, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the Lord of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, what's ironic about this is that Jonah says one thing, but his actions were saying something else. Did you catch that? He says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. But his actions contradicted that. We've seen that Jonah decided to willingly rebel against God by disobeying him. When God said, arise and go, he arose but said no. When God said, go east to Nineveh, he went west to Tarshish. So his actions were contradicting what he was saying. And the Bible tells us that to fear the Lord is not simply to claim that you belong to him, though that it, it, that's what it might look like in some circumstances. But what the Bible teaches is that to fear the Lord is to worship him with our lives, living in such a way that we reverence him, that we obey him, that we submit to him in all things, that who God is influences every part of who we are, how we think, how we speak, how we live. And here we find that the Lord exposes his heart. He was being deceived by sin after rejecting God time after time. Here we have a picture of a man whose heart is becoming calloused in that he was able to run away from God without a problem. And while he was in his disobedience, he still believed, he still described himself as one who feared God. And we see that sin does this to us. Sin blinds you to your condition and to your need for God, telling you that everything's okay when it's really not. Friends, let's take care of our hearts and of each other's hearts so that we would not be led down this path. Notice also that the mariners respond with fear again. But this time their fear is due to Jonah's rebellion against God who created the very storm and the sea that they were in. The text tells us that they knew this because Jonah had told them in verse 10. So you can imagine the mariner saying something like, What? 
Are you crazy? You're telling us that you're trying to run away from the God who created everything, the heavens, the sea, the one who sent the storm. What are you thinking? And once again, the Lord rebukes his servants as he lovingly exposes his sin and his heart so that Jonah would repent and turn. So once again, we see God's compassion to rebels that it's evident in his pursuit, in his rebuke, in his exposure. And we come to the last section of this chapter and learn one more thing about God's compassion for rebels. And that is that God disciplines rebels. Read verses 11 through 16 with me. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know that it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to God, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So here we find that the Lord disciplines rebels. Now, after learning that Jonah was responsible for their circumstance, we see that the mariners don't respond like you'd expect them to. Because up until this point, Jonah had given them nothing but reasons for them to be angry at him and to toss him overboard. They had found out that it was Jonah who caused the storm, and it was Jonah's fault that they hurled their cargo overboard. But we learn that they don't desire his destruction like Jonah desired the destruction for Nineveh. Instead, they ask him, what should we do to you? Once again, he gives them another reason to throw him overboard. Jonah tells them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will, be quiet, will quiet down for you because I know that it's my fault that this is happening. And what do the mariners do? Well, they rode hard to get back to dry land. They showed concern for his life. Whether it was because they found out that he was a prophet or because they understood that his life belonged to God, their actions went from wanting to save their own lives to wanting to save his life. Just as God was at work in the storm and in the casting of the lots, we see that he was also at work in the hearts of these men. We see that they were unable to get back to land because the Lord turned up the level of intensity of the storm. Do you see it there in verse 11 and 13? The sea grew more and more tempestuous, and the men tried hard to row back but could not because the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Though they wanted to save his life, that wasn't going to change Jonah's heart. And it's at this point that we find God's discipline. God continued showing his love for Jonah by using what was necessary to draw him back. 
Verse 14 tells us that seeing that the men couldn't get back because of the storm, they do what Jonah was supposed to do this whole time. They called out to the Lord and asked him to not hold them accountable for Jonah's life. There was no other way to solve this problem. And you know what's interesting? That it is these men who acknowledge God's sovereignty, his sovereign will to give Jonah over to the sea. And you see it there in verse 14. Let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked him up and hurled him over, and the sea ceased from its raging. The sovereign God was in full control the whole time. We see here that Jonah had been running away from his calling, which really shows his heart rejecting God. And after pursuing and rebuking and exposing, he continued in his sin. And we know this because when the mariners asked Jonah, what shall we do to you? All Jonah had to do was say, nothing. The question is, what should I do? Jonah could have repented and turned back to God and he would have received him. But instead, Jonah continued in his sin, saying, in other words, if I need to die, so be it. But I will not go to Nineveh. So God continued working in him and handed him over to the deadliness of his sin. The mariners obeyed God and tossed him over. And while this may seem extreme, this is a loving thing that God was doing to Jonah. We see glimpses of church discipline in this situation. God confronted him time after time, and yet Jonah continued to reject God. And it comes to the point where handing him over to his sinfulness was the next best thing for him. Not because God wanted him to die, but because God wanted him to live. Perhaps this act of discipline would work in his heart to help him see the foolishness of his rebellion. Brothers and sisters, I hope that you see that the compassionate God who showed mercy and compassion to the most wicked is also the God who shows mercy and compassion to his people. In this chapter, we've seen a God who relentlessly pursues his prophet out of love for him. I pray that this is not the case, but if you choose to run from God, he will pursue you. And if you persist in your rebellion, he may expose your sin, not to embarrass you, but to save you. And if you still persist, he may discipline you. Because rebellion against him brings separation from him and death. And in all of this, we should be thinking about the foolishness of wanting to escape from a compassionate and merciful God who desires nothing but the best for us. We can't escape him. And we won't find anything or anyone better than him. So don't try it. I want to draw your attention to one more thing. Did you notice what God was doing in the lives of the, of the mariners this whole time? He was working in their hearts, changing them from the inside out. And we see it in the way that their fears change throughout the passage. In verse 5, we see that they were afraid. 
because the ship threatened to fall apart. In verse 10, we see that they were exceedingly afraid because of Jonah's rebellion and its consequences. And in verse 16, we see that the men came to fear the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Where Jonah had no compassion for the Ninevites because they were not God's people, God used Jonah to show him his compassion for pagan mariners by saving them. This is the sovereign and compassionate God who cares about his creation. Now, as we wrap up here, we're left wondering, well, what happens to Jonah? Well, in our passage, that's all we're told for now. And we will find out when we pick up again. But what I want to draw your attention to is that there is one who is greater than Jonah, and that is Jesus In this chapter, we find some similarities between Jonah and Jesus. We find that both men were from Galilee, and both received the call to preach to those who were not God's people, to the rebellious of the world. But what makes Jesus greater than Jonah is that Jonah tried to escape from his calling, but Jesus willingly submitted to God's calling to come into this world to seek and to save the lost. Jonah tried to flee from the will of God for his life. But Jesus always sought to do the Father's will. Jonah was willing to die to avoid obeying God. But Jesus willingly gave his life on the cross to obey God and to bring salvation to all who repent and believe. And this is the good news of the gospel. We know all this We know um, that what it's like to be rebels who willingly disobey God. We all have some Jonah in us. Knowing what God expects of us and what God calls us to do as we hear his word, as we read his word. We've all said, not your will, but mine be done. The Bible says that our rebellion deserves God's justice. And if God were to give us his justice, we deserve to die and to be separated from him forever. But if we turn to God and place our trust in Christ, God's justice on your life will be met. Not because you're good, but because Jesus is good. Because Jesus and his work on your behalf. Now, if you're visiting us today and you know that you are not a Christian, we praise God that you're here. We've been praying that the Lord would bring you. And I know that I've been addressing Christians this whole time, but this also has implications for you. I hope that you've been able to see the loving and compassionate God we have. And if you're here this morning, it's because God is showing you His compassion once again. He has not let the storms of your life consume you. Instead, He sends His word out to you so that you would see your need for Him and turn from your rebellion and turn to Him. If you've heard Him this morning, don't harden your heart like Jonah. Instead, turn from your sin and turn to Jesus and you'll find the forgiveness and love that He offers you today. Let's pray.
O gracious Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning and we confess that we are just like Jonah. That we misunderstand Your character and that a lot of times we rebel against You. But we thank You that You are not like us. That You are a just God but in your justice you are also a good holy and merciful God we thank you that you have not given us what we deserve but you've given us your son Jesus the one who came to willingly give his life for us to save us we pray father that you wouldn't create that you would create in us hearts that desire to obey you hearts that grow to know you more intimately as you reveal yourself in your word so that we would love you and obey you We pray that you would help us, Lord, to obey you in your will as it is revealed to us as you expose our hearts. Help us, Lord, to bring you glory through our obedience and our understanding and knowledge of you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.